This episode of the Nerd Cave Retro is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash nerdcave. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. You're listening to the Nerd Cave Network. programs and welcome back to the nerd cave retro show my name is jason robbins and i'm Derek diamond god i have so much stuff to do before we uh start doing the program i gotta re- i just remembered to shut off my ringer from my phone because i have a feeling that somebody would be calling me in the middle of the show and it would break my concentration well that's always how it happens yeah, you don't. You never want to be that guy who's in like a meeting or yeah. you know, like a or some some place where you need to shut your your phone off or put it on silent because if it yeah. rings and it's yours, everybody just <laughs> turn. Yeah, God, what a jerk! And I will always be that guy. So some uh, stuff like that, that always guy. happens to me. I am that guy. <laughs> so how was your week, my friend? Uh, pretty good. Um, I, I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but you know, the hurricane Irma, we got some, we were on like the very edge of it. So we didn't really get anything except like light rain and, and some wind. And we, we had actually really nice weather. It was nice and cool here. And now it's, uh, you know, mother nature, remember this was Florida. So uh-huh. now it's like 90 degrees again and humid. I know uh, but, uh, we decided to put up the Halloween decorations today. And nothing nice. says Halloween and nice fall weather like sweating your nards off all day long. <laughs> it was so hot today. It made me angry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just want Yeah, to- I uh I went over to a friend's house this afternoon and he went and took his uh cuz he's got uh like a year and a half old son and took him outside, you know, just cuz he wanted to go outside and see the other kids playing and everything. And when he got back in, uh they were both pretty sweaty so they're like yeah it's 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 toasty out there it was awful today and you get so uh you get so spoiled when you get like really nice weather for a few days because we had really nice cool weather for about a week and i was like man this is nice nice breeze it was about 72 degrees outside every day and then now today you walk i walked outside at like eight o'clock this morning it was just like instant sheen of sweat just appeared yep. on my skin i'm like oh no mm, oh gulf- no <laughs> gulf coast weather strikes again yeah so yeah but it, how's your week been it's been good man um nothing really of note uh um actually um did get something in the mail i wanted to go ahead and read this right up front um got a, a letter in the mail and a package from one of our listeners, uh, got the an NES game called Jackal, which I've seen and I've known about this game, you know, my entire life, but I've never played it. It was always one of those games that it, it was wasn't necessarily an A list title back in the day. It was just kind of one of those games you just, I think people just kind of had it, you know, like that one kid in the neighborhood that had all the NES games. He would always have this type of game, you know. Um, yeah, but I, I never played it and it's been kind of interesting playing it because this has never really been like my kind of genre of games, but we'll, I, I'll get into that next week, but that was a really nice gift and it was sent to us from, let me pull up his last name here. It was Travis Martin. And, uh, he says, uh, and actually it's an actual paper letter. You hear that? That's a piece of paper I'm holding in my hand, kids. <laughs> it's when you want to get personal with people and not just email and your Twitters and junk like that, you damn kids. Uh <laughs> says, Dear Jason Robbins and Derek Diamond, I listen to your show every Monday morning during my delivery route. It's one of the few reasons I look forward to Mondays. I enjoy hearing your opinions and stories relating to the games I grew up with and learning about some I've never played, like Star Tropics. I grew up playing NES games like Super Mario Bros. 3, Battletoads, Legends of Zelda, Castlevania, and one of my favorite and the enclosed game, Jackal. 
Jackal is a game where you control an armed jeep with the mission of rescuing your allies trapped by the enemy. It was one of my favorite games when I was young, and I think it still holds up. I hope you get a chance to play it and maybe review it on the show sometime, which I will next week. I would love to hear your opinion of it. Sincerely, Travis. And P.S., you should post a list of your game library. And actually, I was thinking about doing maybe just a, um, doing a little video to post on YouTube of my um, retro collection. I uh, might do that this week. Just put it up on uh, on my Facebook pa- or my YouTube page where I um, put up all the Nerd Cave retro videos. So look for that this week. Awesome. And yeah, thanks again, you know, for that awesome letter. I mean, it's it, it's cool to hear, you know, personal stories about, oh, oh your your podcast makes my daily routine a little bit easier. So yeah, that, that's awesome. awesome. It's nice to hear from people. And speaking of that. Um, if you do want to help out this show and, uh, you know, we do have a a sponsorship with audible, but one of the best things you can do for this show is to go and, uh, give us a review, especially on iTunes, um, or wherever you get your shows from. Uh, I don't have any new reviews to read for this week, but if you would please go to wherever you listen to the show from, uh, just take a couple of minutes, give us a rating and, uh, it doesn't even have to be long, just a sentence or two, just talking about the show. And that'll boost us up in the ratings, uh, especially on iTunes, and get us in front of more people because we've, you know, we've got pretty good listener base and um, uh, a good, building a good community around this show. And I would like to see it continue. Absolutely. But on that note, let's go ahead and go into uh, the news for this week. <laughs> I'm going to let you take this one. So our first story comes from Thrillist.com. I love that name, by the way. Uh, Nintendo is bringing back the NES Classic and boosting SNES Classic production. Mm-hmm. Even after the complete nightmare, we'll we'll get, we'll get to that. Uh, even after the complete nightmare, many experienced attempting to get Nintendo's NES Classic Edition late last year. Old school gaming fans have so far faced a similarly tough time securing the company's latest retro console, the SNES Classic, after pre-orders started in late August, unannounced, by the way. Uh, but on Tuesday, Nintendo announced two huge pieces of good news. The NES Classic is coming back, and SNES Classic production has been extended into 2018. Uh, Due to incredible demand for the SNES Classic, Nintendo said it will continue production of the console into 2018 instead of cutting off shipments at the end of the year as it had previously planned. It also promised a significant increase in stock of the Classic when it officially hit stores on September 29th. And then the NES Classic Edition... Uh, will be they're saying that it will restart production of the mini consoles next summer and they'll return to stores sometime after that. No specific release date has been uh, released. So what are your thoughts? Um, <clears throat> honestly, I believe it when I see it. I think um, I heard a, I actually heard a pretty funny story. I don't remember what show I was listening to the other day. It was another gaming podcast I listened to. It might have been the CU podcast. They were talking about the, I can't remember who exactly that is the head of Nintendo America. It, this must have been like a, a you know, like a, a gangster style or Goodfellas style uh, thing where the head of Nintendo America took a baseball bat over to Nintendo of Japan and would just like wreck the office. Just like, do you know how much money we're leaving on the table by not producing these things? Like, there, so many people, if they made. 30 million of these things, they would sell 30 million of them easily. If you walked into Target or Walmart, which what this should have happened, this was what I was expecting to see, especially for like the Christmas season, to walk into Best Buy or Target, Walmart, wherever, uh, GameStop, wherever you get your gaming console from, you should have walked in and seen like a pyramid of NES classic boxes right in the middle of the floor. You just walk up and you you grab one. You wouldn't have to worry about if they didn't have any. They should have had them. This should have been, this was a no-brainer, easy home run for Nintendo. And they effed it up royally. So, I, I mean, I don't know if it's too late, but I'm sure if they bump up production, you know, people have been known to forgive Nintendo in the past. 
but and I and I don't know what happened to make Nintendo change their mind about this, but hopefully whoever is in charge of all this, the head of Nintendo Japan, I don't care who, I hope they learned a very valuable lesson from this that if people want it, you should make it. <laughs> because they people if people want it, they will buy it. Simple as yep. that. They could have made a billion dollars easily off of this thing or a half a billion dollars easily. No questions asked if they would have just had them in production, they should have known from the beginning how popular these, the, uh, the, this retro gaming, you know, mini console would be, they should have known beforehand and to be completely tone deaf when they stopped production of them was just, it was almost, it, it was almost insulting a little bit. I don't know how you felt about it, but it just felt like Nintendo just didn't care. Like they have their agenda and they're not going to listen to anybody. Yeah, it's I was thinking the same thing too. What they should have done was have, you know, you walk into GameStop and they have this giant display of the the classic Nintendo, you know, box art that says NES Classic Edition yeah. it has a giant Nintendo logo. And then under it, you have your your stack of consoles, and you just walk up, grab it. I, it would have immediately caught everybody's attention. Like you said, they would have made a ton of least it when they did around the holidays. Yeah, and it was inexpensive. It was sixty bucks for a ton of games. I think you were paying basically like two dollars for a game, which is is nothing. Yeah, you know, I I would have. I would have not just bought, you know, one, but I, like that would have made a good, you know, Christmas gift yeah. for other people I know who are retro gamers. Exactly. I mean, but 60 the, bucks is nothing to pay for a console with 30 games on it. And you pay that for a PS4 game. Yeah, exactly. And especially, I, like I just, the, I, the, I don't know. And people are talking it's about, just, oh, well, they're not going to make any money off of these things. Well, yes, they are. Because especially like you look at the Super Nintendo and, and you know, maybe... Maybe the um, uh, getting the, the licenses for these games or whatever might have been pretty expensive. I don't really think so, especially for Nintendo. Um, but they're going to be charging 80 for the Super Nintendo, and it comes with two more controllers. You know, I yeah. and those controllers can't cost more than what, like a couple of bucks to make? Throw another controller in with the NES and charge another $10 for it, and you'll still get all those people yeah. that want this thing. For sure. And I, I think I'd love to know what happened, like why they decided or who made the call to say, hey, we need to make more of these things. Yeah. I, I have the same uh, thought process as you. Do I want to believe it? Yes. Do I believe it? I'll believe it when I go to a Target in November and I still see these things in stock. Yeah. Well, and another thing too, you know, I think a lot of their reasoning was is they thought that having the the Nintendo uh, Classic in production would probably hurt their um, their eShop, uh, you know, for their uh, whatever they call mm -hmm. the Nintendo Shop or whatever. Which I don't think so. I think it's you're getting a complete separate no. separate group of people because a lot of the people you're going to get with the Nintendo Classic. The NES Classic are, you know, people our age or older, you know, between I'd say probably 30 and 50 that did play with a Nintendo what they were when they were a kid and probably got out of gaming. They're going to see these things and be like, wow, I had one of these when I was a kid. And then they go and buy it and they remember how much fun they had as a kid. They show their kids this, this, you know, these games. And then they say, you know what? Nintendo's still making consoles. I'm going to go pick up that Switch. So not only are you getting people back in with the uh, this uh, in Nintendo and the Super Nintendo Classic, but those people are probably going to be more likely to go and pick up a Switch. And for even for those who don't, you know, I don't think it necessarily hurts the eShop sales because right now Nintendo doesn't have one. Yeah, exactly. The Wii U has ceased production. The Switch doesn't have one yet. So right now it's not hurting anything because it's not existent. But to your point, even those who 
will not buy a switch. We'll still see the NES like, Oh, I love that thing growing up. Yeah. And they'll pick up the box. They'll see all the games that are on it and that, <laughs> that will sell them on it. So even if they're not going to buy a switch, it's still going to sell because of people our age who grew up with that kind of stuff. And as it's been proven over the last several years, people love nostalgia. They love stuff that they grew up on because it reminds them of being a kid again. It reminds them of, yeah. you know, simpler times, just hmm. sitting at home playing video games and not having to worry about, you know, bills or jobs or anything like that. And so let me tell you, I, I mean, I, it would sell on nostalgia alone. I mean, and there's, you know, there's probably a lot of people that are listening to this show that are 25 and under. And let me tell you, when you hit 40, <laughs> you definitely like there is such a thing as a midlife crisis. Like I start to want things that remind me of being a kid again, because like you said, you know, I got to wake up every morning and go to work so I can make money to pay a house note, you know, car payment, electric bill food. I got to take care of my cats. You know, I have a wife and we got to worry about all kind of bills. And for like an hour a day or so, I don't want to have to think about all that stuff. You know, I just want to sit down and do something that reminds me of being a kid again, like especially like retro gaming, especially firing up my Nintendo or Super Nintendo and just for an hour or two, just forget the world, man. And that stuff becomes so important the older you get. Because life, if you let it, life will crush you, <laughs> yep. you know, and we need these type of things, man. So like, that's my argument is they're just missing out on so much more money by just marginalizing these people, you know? No, I, I totally agree. But uh, we've talked, we talked that to death <laughs> <Let's> yeah. <laughs> and move on. Uh, Tyler Watson, um, we were talking last week about. Uh, we wish the uh, Nintendo Power was still available online. Well, he sent me, and Tyler Watson's a longtime listener of the show, uh, he sent me a link to retromags.com. Uh, now, this link, if you go here and you sign up, and I just did it, um, signed up uh, with my Facebook account, uh, you can go on here and look up all sorts of gaming magazines from, like, you know, the late 80s and above. Um you can go on here and download like PDFs of them. And it's a pretty awesome site. Um, I think I sent you the link to it. Did you ever take a look at it? Uh, yeah, I haven't signed up yet, but I have like briefly looked over the actual website and it's, it's pretty awesome. I'm not going to lie. And like, I'm looking at it now and I see they have electronic gaming monthly, which was yeah. next to Nintendo power. It mm -hmm. was my favorite gaming magazine. Yes. So, <laughs> I'm for sure going to sign up and check some of these out. Yeah. And like I said, um, you know, I really like looking at these old magazines from back in the day. So if you enjoy doing that, it's almost, it just reminds me of sort of like, a, you know, like a subreddit or something like that, the way it's set up. So um, just go on here. It's retromags.com. Just wanted to kind of give them a little plug on the show here. If you're interested in looking up old gaming magazines, Definitely go on here and you can sign up real easy. Just use your Facebook account or Twitter or whatever. Um, and you can look up old magazines. So that's pretty much just what it is. And they, uh, they have, I think they have a, yeah, they have a Patreon page that you can contribute mm -hmm. to. Uh, they're looking for an $1,800 goal for their web hosting. Um, so if you're interested, you know, give these guys a, a couple of, couple of loose change that you have in your pocket to make this site stay up because this is what we need right now. Something to kind of keep, you know, this stuff alive because without people like this, you know, these magazines just kind of die, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. It, it's a really cool website. Everybody who's listening should check it out. Absolutely. Um, well, let's go ahead and move into this month in video game history. On September 20th of 1984, Elite, an influential wireframe 3D space trading game offering full six degrees of freedom and then unique open-ended design is published by Acornsoft. Um, I've never heard of this before in my life. Have you? I have not, but I will say I love the name Acornsoft. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, but it sounds awesome. I, I'm looking at it right now. Um, the 
the look of it, I mean, it looks like, you know, very early gaming uh, graphics with the, the wire, yeah, like the wireframe look and everything. So it's all vector. looks interesting. Yeah, it's very it's all vector. So uh, I, yeah. I imagine this would be something sort of uh, akin to like the original Star Wars arcade game uh, and things of that nature. Yeah. Uh, in September of 1987, the Master System, made by Sega, was released in Europe. So, um, and we've we've talked about the Master System before. Um, I've I personally never played one, nah. but you know I have heard of it. Yeah, I never did either. So the Master System was always one of those uh, consoles that. I had, uh, I think I had one friend that had a Master System, and then he upgraded, you know, on to go on to to Sega products because he was a Sega kid, and I was always a Nintendo person. So, but the, you know, the the Sega products just never quite captured me when I was a kid. Um, but I would love to go back and get and collect all these old consoles just just to say that I have them. But, um, yeah. you know, I don't have the nostalgia factor for the Sega stuff like I do for Nintendo and, and you know, Atari to some degree. Yeah. Uh, on September 23rd of 1993, Sega releases Sonic CD, which marks the first appearance of Amy Rose and Metal Sonic. I did not yeah. play this. Yeah, Sonic CD was uh, an interesting game because it against the classic 2D Sonic game. But there were also uh, past and future versions of all the levels. You'd go to like a post-apocalyptic future where Dr. Robotnik's taken over and everything's polluted and, you know, natural landscape's been replaced by metal buildings. And then you go to the past where everything's bright and green. Um, I never beat it. It's a it's kind of a long game, but it is pretty fun. I mean, if if you like Sonic games you know, you'll definitely like it. And introducing, you know, two characters who are are pretty uh, prevalent in the Sonic franchise was pretty cool as well. It had a cool uh, anime-style opening to it, so it, that, that's kind of cool. Yeah, I had a, a friend of mine that had uh, the Sega CD um, when I was in high school, and uh, he had, like, Sewer Shark and um, uh, what was the one? Uh, not the one we just talked about not too long ago, uh why is my brain not working right now? But he had two titles. He had Sewer Shark and the one that had Corey Haim in it. And I don't remember the name of that game. Uh, I will look that up and come back with that next week. Because <laughs> Wally <laughs> will correct me on that. Um, and that's another The official fact checker yeah. of the Nerd Cave Retro Podcast. another thing that happens when you get older, kids. Your brain doesn't pull up facts like it used to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On September 24th, 1993, uh, Broderbund, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right, yes. releases the Myst computer game, which goes on to become one of the best-selling computer games of all time. I've never heard of this game. You know, um, I've mentioned before I've never really been a big PC gamer, so yeah, this, this completely passed me by. This was at the height of right when I got into PCs and PC gaming, right around 92, 93. Uh, I got my first real, I mean, I had a Commodore, which is a real computer. You know, I had a Commodore 64 when I was a kid, but then I upgraded to, I think it was a Hewlett Packard <laughs> at the time with a whopping like 256 megabytes of RAM <laughs> for it, which was oh, great man. at the time. But, um, but I actually had, um, I had uh, the seventh guest, which is very much like, like Mist. Um, which I will be reviewing next month for our horror-themed October month. And I always wanted to get missed, but for some reason I never got it. And it just sort of, you know, eventually slipped on by. And then and to this day, I've never played it, but I, I know what missed is. And I, I would still love to go back and play it because, you know, I think they did, actually did an up, um, upgrade of it not too long ago, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, let's see here. Um, remakes and ports of the game have been released for platforms including Sega Saturn, PlayStation, Microsoft Windows, PSP, Nintendo DS, uh, iOS, and Android. Yeah, it's it's more it's your basic point and click three um, D world. You point and click. Um, you solve puzzles and look for clues. That type of thing. You know, you just kind of go. You're. It's basically the. 
you know, the really right when they started to, uh, to do, you know, open kind of 3d worlds in these games and they were great and they looked great at the time, you know, seventh mm-hmm. guest is kind of, is starting to show its age a little bit, but it still looks pretty decent. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at, at the, some of the screen caps and the, the graphics are, are not terrible. Yeah. They're actually really good, especially for the yeah. time they were mind blowing. Yeah, but uh, but let's go ahead and move into our mid roll here, and I will let you talk about that for a minute, Derek. So, for you, the listeners of the Nerd Cave Retro Podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free thirty day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Um, still, kind of transitioning back into having somewhat of a normal schedule, so hopefully, right. uh. Getting I, back into reading more books. I can give a, um, a recommendation for this week. If you really okay. want your money's worth, when we say free, uh, if everybody has seen the movie It, Stephen King's It, and you're interested in listening to the book, the book itself is 44 hours long. So Holy you will crap. get, <laughs> if you sign up with... <laughs> Our code, audibletrial.com slash nerdcave. Go get Stephen King's It. You will get 44 hours of content for free and a 30-day free trial. If you don't pick That's a that long up, book. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. But I'll definitely do that. Uh, that's definitely uh, a, a great uh, bang for your buck, yeah. as they would say. <laughs> and to do that... Uh, go to audibletrial.com slash nerdcave. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash nerdcave for your free audiobook. And this week we've got. Uh-huh. Definitely a banjo, I hear. <laughs> uh, that song is so awesome. It's so catchy and upbeat. It, it just makes you smile whenever you hear it. Absolutely. Uh, this week, I will be reviewing Banjo-Kazooie, originally released, uh, developed by Rare, originally released for the Nintendo 64 game console in 1998. Uh, this was released uh, kind of at the pinnacle of you know, revolutionizing 3D platforming. Mario 64 obviously uh, preceded this and kind of set the standard for a 3D platforming game. But I'll say this, Banjo-Kazooie to me took that formula and made it better. And I'll tell you some reasons why. Um, the, The gameplay of it is complex but not complex you get to learn all types of cool moves throughout the game that involve you know kazooie the red bird who uh is in banjo's backpack she'll shoot eggs out of her mouth uh you can fly uh all kinds of cool stuff um they also kind of revolutionize the collecting items in a 3d platforming game throughout different levels i think there's nine uh in this game you collect the primary thing you collect is jigsaw puzzle pieces that you use to solve uh, puzzles throughout the game in the hub world of Gruntilda the Witch's Lair so you can go to other levels and advance in the game. But you also collect uh, music notes, uh, tokens, these uh, bird-like things called Jinjos. There are five hidden in each level, and every time you find all five, you get a, a jigsaw puzzle or a, a jiggy as they call it in the game. Um, so yeah, it, it kind of revolutionized, I think, collecting items and really developing and improving on that formula that Mario 64 set. And also, I think they kind of took a big step with the graphics because in Mario 64, everything looked kind of flat. Yeah. But with Banjo-Kazooie, <clears throat> and you can see in the the screen cap on the Wikipedia page, they used a lot of textures the water and like effects the, look fantastic on this, uh, yeah. this one one screenshot I have. Yeah, it, it just took everything and just improved upon it. You know, you can see the texture and the bridge that Banjo's walking on, mm-hmm. the water, the grass. 
it, it's it's one of the most fun games that I've ever played. And to to give a little bit of the backstory on the story of the game, uh, Banjo Kazooie is set in Spiral Mountain and follows the story of Banjo, a brown honey bear, and Kazooie, a female red crested Breagull who is always kept in Banjo's backpack. The game begins when a foul-tempered witch named Gruntilda learns from her cauldron that Tootie, Banjo's younger sister, is more beautiful than her. So in a jealous rage, she creates a machine that can transfer a person's level of beauty to another, which she intends to use with Banjo's sister. She abducts her from Banjo's house while he's sleeping. Uh, Kazooie wakes up, eventually wakes Banjo up, and the two invade her lair and go throughout it, uh, learning different moves along the way, going through levels that include um, mountains, uh, a shipwrecked pirate-type world, um, a frozen mountain, a desert. Uh, one of the cooler levels, which is the last one, is called Click Clock Wood. It takes place the in the middle is this huge tree that you have to climb, and there's other you know surrounding area with it. You have to go through the level four different times what? to complete it. <laughs> so there's there's the version that is set in spring, then you have a summer version, then fall, then winter, and there are certain areas that you can only go to in certain seasons. Oh. So it it takes a bit to go through that. Um, as far as development of the game goes, it was made by Rare, which I've made obvious on this podcast that I'm a huge fan of. They, I wish they were back to where they were, you know, when they were making games like this. Yeah. Um, it actually originally started as an adventure game called Dream, which involved um, a kid who was who would go on adventures with pirates. And they actually use that as an inside joke. It's something that Rare does that that I love. They have little inside jokes in their in their company, and they'll sometimes use those in games. Because in the sequel, Banjo Tooie, you meet a pirate, and he mentions about ha him having like a dream, <laughs> obviously referring to Project Dream. So little things like that were were really cool. And you know, I can't praise enough how great this game is like on all aspects the gameplay uh, the controls are tight uh, the music is very catchy one of my favorite soundtracks for the nintendo 64 it's not too short not too long i think the game is the perfect length the, the, there are nine levels that don't really take a ton of time to do it's got great replay value i've played through this game probably in the double digits well, it said that, um, according to Rare, we wanted the characters to primarily appeal to younger audiences, but at the same time, give them enough humor and attitude not to discourage older players. So I think that's something that's kind of missing the mm -hmm. last, I'd say, probably 15 years. Like, gaming has gone in such a direction of, and I hate to use this term, but a lot of the game, the reason I don't play a lot of games these days it feels like they're geared toward like dude bros, you know, <laughs> like yeah. that type of gamer, like the, the first person shooters and, uh, you know, the need for speed and, uh, grand theft auto, that type of stuff. What I really want is something that's not necessarily easy, but something that's just fun and doesn't take like, don't get me wrong. I like games that take a long time. Like I would, I really want to play the new Zelda game and I'll sync you know, 200 hours into that game. Like I love Skyrim. I actually have, I wish I could turn my camera so you can see I have a Skyrim poster on my wall. I love Skyrim, but yeah, nine times out of 10, I just want a game that's fun and not necessarily easy, but something that I can just kind of jump into and play and makes me feel good to play. Like, you know, playing something like Grand Theft Auto, like I've played those games and you know, when I'm done, I just, I feel kind of angry. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Like I want something that makes me feel like I did as a kid playing Nintendo games. Well, I think you really summed up the game perfectly because it is that type of game. It looks like if you look at it, it's obviously geared towards a younger audience, but because of the gameplay, because of the humor and especially the characters, 
it's really a game for everybody. Yeah. Well, I think and that I, was the magic. I think that's one of its biggest appeals. And I think that was the magic that Nintendo had and more or less still do. But, you know, back when I was a kid, it was like, you know, these games were geared towards kids, but they were hard enough to be enjoyed by adults. And, you know, it didn't rely on like, you know, just ultra realistic violence or anything. It's just like if the gameplay is fun, people will play it. Doesn't matter what it is, you know, and I miss games like this a lot. And that, that's really why I really want a Nintendo Switch is because I think Nintendo still has the opportunity now to be, to be the best, you know, name in video gaming on the planet again. I really do. No, I, I 100% agree with that. Uh, another cool thing about Banjo-Kazooie, and this was actually something that it was never fully completed but I remember, you know, in the the really early days of the internet being like a a public thing. I was reading stuff about this game all the time about, you know, cheats and all that fun stuff. When you beat the game, if you beat it a hundred percent, there's a post credit scene with Banjo and Kazooie on a beach, and they've got you know their drinks, their sunglasses, and they're just relaxing, having a good time. And one of the characters that you meet, uh, who is a shaman called Mumbo Jumbo, he um, he shows up with these photos, and they're like action photos of Banjo and Kazooie uh, accessing hidden areas in the game, but you can only access it by playing the sequel, and that was how they officially announced the sequel, Banjo Tooie. Well, it was introducing this concept called stop and swap. Basically, you get to a certain point, and this was what it was supposed to be in theory. When you play Banjo-Tooie, you get to a certain area that unlocks something. And what you were supposed to do is take out the cartridge and put in Banjo-Kazooie while the system is still on, hence the, the term stop and swap. Mm -hmm. And then you would access the, the hidden areas in Banjo-Kazooie. Well, due to the technology constraints of the Nintendo wow. 64, they didn't fully they didn't fully do it. Uh, so that was kind of disappointing, but it, it was a really cool concept, and uh, people talked about it on the internet, like on message boards, uh, banjo fan sites, for years. I'm sure. Like I I'm mean, I'm talking like into like 2005, 2006. People were still talking about it. Well, that's a really uh, interesting concept. Well, what they ended up doing was they would have uh, they put these little animated banjo kazooie cartridges in hidden areas of banjo tooie, and you would just have to break them open, and then you would get those items that they displayed at the end credits of the first game. So that that was kind of disappointing, but you know, the, I love the concept of it. I wish they had been able to pull it off because that was, you know, that was really kind of groundbreaking, even though it sounds kind of dangerous to do to your console. But it would still be a cool thing to do. Yeah. Uh, there's there's so much you know to love about this game. Like I said earlier, and it it, it did get a little bit of criticism for being a Mario sixty four clone. Mm. But I think there's there's different there's enough differences to make it stand out. And there's nothing wrong. With I that. will. No, I no. I mean, it, the way I look at it is Mario sixty four. Yeah, you can compare it to that. But Mario 64 kind of set the standard of what a successful 3D platformer should be. So why would you not use that as a basis and then put your own twist on it? Yeah. I, I really don't think that's a bad thing. Hmm. But the game, for the most part, got really high praise when it came out. It was uh, sold more than 1.8 million copies in the United States and got reviews from, let's see... Uh, Game Revolution gave it an A minus. GameSpot nine point five, IGN nine point six, Nintendo Power nine point two, uh, GamePro gave it five stars. Wow. So it it got a lot of praise, and it's one of the most fun games that I've ever played. And then in nineteen ninety nine, Banjo Kazooie won uh, Console Action Game of the Year an outstanding achievement in art slash graphics from the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences. 
And then IGN awarded it overall best graphics of 1998, best texture design of 1998, and best music of 1998. Well, it seems like this uh, this title is ripe to be brought back into the modern. Oh age. my god! It um, so there was a third game that was released, uh, but it was completely different than the first two. It was called Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts for the Xbox 360. And they completely took out the, the fun of the game. And instead of, you know, going on adventures in various levels, uh, you built vehicles in different levels. Like you didn't have any of your move set. You had to build vehicles from different parts that were in each level and you would use those. It was an awful, awful game. I would love if they made a true Banjo-Kazooie 3. Yeah. I, I would buy that. That would be one I would pre-order it. I would pre-order a special edition if it came out, and I would pick it up day one. And I think you're not the only one either. I mean, if Nintendo, Nintendo is starting to listen to us a little bit, you know, there I think there might be enough people out there like you who are in love with this game that would throw down good money for a part three. So, and I wish that rare would work with Nintendo again, <laughs> that they, they had the, the perfect marriage of two companies and then rare left to go to Microsoft. And to me, they've never been the same. Yeah. It, it, but if they were, if they were to do a Banjo Kazooie three, that would be great. Uh, well, you never know what's going to happen in the future. I mean, maybe some of the lot of the people that worked on these games are no longer working for rare and maybe they could start another another studio and just uh Nintendo could license the property. Yeah. And, you don't know. I mean they, they could do some dealings like that to be able to bring this back. Because I think this would be I mean, a lot like we talked about a few weeks ago with um uh, Earthworm Jim. I think it's ripe for uh you mm -hmm. know a, an updated version. A lot of these games oh, ab are. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, um, Which they, they did release uh, earlier this year. I can't remember the name of the company, but it involved a lot of people who worked for Rare during that time and made the original Banjo-Kazooie game, made a spiritual successor called Ukulele. Uh, I was just about instead to ask you. Yeah. Instead of a bear and a bird, it's a chameleon and a bat. I've, I've briefly played it a little bit. It is very similar to Banjo-Kazooie. I, I didn't dislike it, what little I played of it, but it obviously wasn't the same. Hmm. Well, at least but, they tried, you know. <laughs> yeah. No, that that's true. Uh, but as far as my um, my number review of this game, I would give it a solid 8.5 to a 9. That's not bad. That, And it's, of N64 games, it's in my top 5. Yeah. And like all time favorite games, it's in top 10. I, I'll review Banjo Tooie uh, on another episode to kind of get there's some there's some pros and cons to that game. Uh, the, there's some aspects, I think, where it's actually better than the first one, but some where it's not. But it, it, it's still a fun game as well. But I, I'll get to that in a later episode. But I'm going to uh, it's definitely open. it's definitely one that I've been looking for. Um, I haven't found a physical copy yet. Ever since I really started, you know, getting back into collecting retro games, but this is this is towards the top of my list to find it. I mean, it, it's on the the Xbox Live Arcade for Xbox 360, but you know, it's it's not the same as having the the cartridge. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, nothing. There's nothing better than holding that cartridge in your hand and popping it into the machine and pressing start. Uh, there's nothing like it. And, and on I'm, the occasion where you have to go. <laughs> uh, but this is actually uh on my list of nintendo 64 games that i'm on the look the hunt for and you know i'm really starting to want to, to uh uh collect for the nintendo 64 because i i think now is the time to really get what you want to get for the Nintendo 64. Cause I really do think that's going to be the next kind of retro console in the next couple of years that really, uh, people start to over, you know, overpay for things, uh, for the Nintendo 64. And, and not only that, but it didn't have near the amount of titles that the super Nintendo had or yeah. Nintendo or, or even I don't I think it had less titles than the GameCube if I'm not mistaken 
Um, I think, let me just, just as a real quick, let me look up how many games did the Nintendo 64, Nintendo 64 might have had more like iconic and popular games, but as far as number of games, I, I'm really not uh, sure. I haven't thought of that. There are 296 N64 games in total. Uh, let's see. I know that the Nintendo, the regular NES, had uh, 714 known licensed games, and that's not... Holy crap. Yeah. Uh, let's see. How many did the Super Nintendo had? 721. And let me just look up the GameCube. Oops, sorry. Uh, let's see. 661 games for the GameCube. So it had significantly less games than all the other systems. Yeah. I think now's the time. If you have a Nintendo 64, now's the time. Because especially, I have a feeling that Nintendo is probably going to hold off for, I'd say, probably 2020. Maybe 2021 is when Nintendo is going to release the N64 Classic. Um, and when that You think happens, they'll wait that long? I, I think so. Uh, for one thing, I think I think that controller is probably going to set it back a bit <laughs> because I don't think those are cheap to make, especially if you want them to hold up because the old yeah. ones did not hold up all that well. And that's something that a lot of people look for is Nintendo 64 controllers because that, you know, the stick was very prone to becoming too loose to be able to even play your games. So, yeah. you know, that's just my opinion. I really do think it, it's going to be a few years before they do that. Um, but now is the time to start collecting. And, and like we talked about, was it last week or week before? I really do think the bubble's starting to burst for at least the the original Nintendo Entertainment System and their games. I'm seeing a lot of the prices starting to come down, especially on eBay as well. Um, I actually mm -hmm. picked up uh, another game the other day. I got Shadowgate that I want to um, I want to do in October because I love that game as a kid. Uh, I actually picked it up with um, um, the uh, instruction book. Picked it up for like nine nice. bucks on eBay. Nine dollars. <laughs> I almost I lost. The uh, and um, I lost an auction by 26 cents at the last second for a complete inbox shadow gate. I was the high bidder up until about the last three seconds because I was watching it in real time on my phone and I had $12 on it. And then I upped my bid at the last three minutes to $13 because nobody bid on it. And then the last second it said I was the I lost out by 26 cents. My day was crushed. Uh, <laughs> that's the worst. Uh, yes, it is. Ugh. Oh, and by the way, it popped in my head. The game with Dana Plato was night. No, not night. Um, night. Uh, what was it? Night trap. Night trap. Yeah, night trap. Dana yeah. Plato. Why can I? I keep thinking of the damn podcast called Night Attack. That's why it keeps leaving my head. And then I looked up the one with Corey Haim. In order to keep Wally from uh, correcting me, that game was called Double Switch for the Sega CD. And I actually, that was the one that he had. He had that game and he had Sewer Shark, uh, the friend of mine in high school. So those were the two Sega CD games that I played. I never got to play the, the Sonic CD. Nice. So Wally, save your, save your Googling. Uh, for next week, I, I might mess up something then. <laughs> but uh, but other than that, um, did you give the the game a? Uh, yeah, yeah, you did. You said eight and a half, right? Eight and a half out of yeah. ten. So that's a high mm -hmm. praise. So I, I'm I'm interested. I really want to play this game. I never got to play it back in the day. I've seen people play it. I've seen uh, videos of this game because I it's one of those games that was always on my radar for the Nintendo sixty four. Um, but I'm going to pick it up if I can find a copy of it somewhere. Yeah, definitely pick it up if you can. You know, like I said, it's it's one of my all-time favorite games. And when we when we first decided we were going to do this show, there were a handful of games that I thought I cannot wait to talk about it. And this was one of them. So definitely pick it up if you find it. 
Yes, and uh, thank you again to Travis Martin for sending sending me uh, send us, sending us that very nice letter and uh, absolutely for the Nintendo Entertainment System, which I will be uh, reviewing it next week. And I haven't played very much of it, so I can't say anything about it right now. But um, I apologize if I hate it, but I don't think I will. I will try to give <laughs> it the best praise I can because, like I said, that genre of games was never really my thing back then that kind of um i don't even know what you call that genre of game like it was it's not really a non-stop shooter top-down shooter like uh like 1942 and stuff like that you know you know those type of games like galaga but it's it's mm-hmm. that type of game but you know, I, I, I'll i save it. I'll talk about it next week. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, is there anything you want to talk about before we go? Um, I don't believe so. Just, you know, check out the Derek Diamond experience. Uh, my solo show that I do every Thursday that's available on uh, all podcasting platforms everywhere. I did a I did a fun Facebook live Q&A yes. uh, this past week, and uh, I'm, I might be doing another one this week. Uh, we'll just have to see. So uh, you can follow the show uh, on uh, Facebook and on Twitter. The show page is at D Diamond Podcast. So uh, depending on you know what I do for this week's show, I'll let everyone know that way. Awesome. And definitely go check out the Pop Culture Palette, my other show, which I do with Wally Phelps and Stephanie Lombardo. Um, coming up this week, we're supposed to have a really cool guest. Um, I'm, and uh, it, hopefully things go well. And we're going to have that guest coming in this week. If not, it'll be the week after. But I'm hoping it's this week. Uh, so go over there to P- uh, pcpradio.com, or you can follow us on Twitter at PCP Show, and you can find everything right there. So, Derek, let's go ahead and play our music. If you would like to email us, you can email us at nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. You can find us at nerdcaveretro.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at nerdcaveretro. You can follow us individually on Twitter at jpunktastic, at Derek underscore diamond. And we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash nerdcaveretro. So Derek, tell them what it's all about. May the way of the hero lead to the Triforce. Yes. Listening to a Nerd Cave Network production.